Wow, this has been such an interesting time to reflect on so much, <laughs> especially my own internalized racism, the unconscious biases I carry, and all the mistakes I've made. And I have done and said a lot of ignorant things, and I hope to do better in the future. I'm committed to doing the hard work and critical self-reflection, and I hope you are too. Today, we are sharing an interview with my friend, Alina Muslar. Alina is a creative career and mindset coach and community arts consultant. She's an educator for creatives looking to level up their personal development to enhance their professional ROI, which means return on investment. She's also a confidant for entities who want to better connect with the communities they aim to serve. We discuss how she personally helped me see past my privilege the work she's doing to hold others accountable, and where decolonization needs to happen. I hope you enjoy. She's incredible. I just asked, how are you? And I recognize that that's a stupid question, but... (laughs) I said, I'm here. (laughs) Let's talk about why is that a stupid question? What, how is your heart? I guess that's more specific. (laughs) That is more specific. My heart is beating and I'm grateful for that fact because there are a lot of people like me who aren't getting the chance for that right now so I'm that's how my heart is I'm grateful for the fact that it's beating I'm grateful too because I love you so much Ditto. I love me too. No, JK, I love you. (laughs) So let's talk about, um, I'm kind of open to having this go wherever you're comfortable with it going. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd love to chat about your, your email, um, signature at, for where you work and, uh, uh, yeah, if there's anything you're open to talking about, I'd love to hear your perspective. And we don't have sure. to name, we don't have to name the institution. We can if you want, whatever you like. You know, yeah, just just ask questions, and I'll give you some answers. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so let's talk about. Let's start with Juneteenth, and okay, let's start there. What about it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Can you tell me about your email signature, how you decided to do that, and the outcome that we all know was because of you, and you did did all the credit, but you didn't get the credit. (laughs) Yeah, so with Juneteenth, um, about a week or so prior, I was just like mentally, spiritually, emotionally, exhausted. Um, And this came from a combination of talking to co-workers and and, um, people that weren't addressing the, the, you ever, you ever be in a place and it's like, you can feel the energy of a room. Mm -hmm. Like we're not in a room but we're all in the same society and the energy of the society wasn't being addressed. And so for me, 
I was like, I can't not address the energy in this big room. <laughs> We're all in as America together. So I knew that I needed to take a respite to spend some time with myself processing what all was happening in a world I thought I knew. And I think everyone kind of has been in a similar state of, but I thought I knew. <laughs> I thought I knew I was good. I thought I knew I was in a good world. I thought I knew. But now is actually a time for reckoning. And I got to a point where I needed to do some reckoning for myself before I could show up for more people and everyone else. And so I took the Friday off before, um, before Juneteenth. And I specifically said, after I'd done a lot of educating for a white colleague, I emailed my supervisor and my boss and I said, just FYI, and here's the last of what I've had to do. <laughs> and in addition, I'll be out sick tomorrow. Um, they could see the emotional labor in what I had been doing over the course of the week. Mm -hmm. A lot of education, a lot of helping someone understand things that it was like, hello, <laughs> don't tokenize someone in the moment when things are happening that are not good. And so I did a lot of ed ed educating, but it was also very exhausting. And so I said um, in an email that I was going to call out sick, but basically what ended up happening was the second I sent that email, I thought to myself, hmm, <laughs> maybe I should make an out of office um, like auto reply. And I, I just made one after I, I was sitting on my couch and I was like, these people don't even get why I'm really like, like I was kind of just in my head, like they need to understand what they doing. So my out of office message had said, um, Hello, thank you for contacting my office. I am out of the office until Monday, June 15th. Uh, I chose to take this time to rest and recharge from the extra work I continue to put in as a Black employee at my institution, trying to dismantle issues of systemic racism from within the walls of a predominantly white institution. I look forward to responding to you upon my return. P.S. Black Lives Matter! Exclamation point, smiley face. Because <laughs> for me, I feel like there are a lot of different approaches one can have in these conversations. And I like to take an approach that is um, very intentional, but also might make you have a little like laugh in your wake up call because I find that humor, humor is just honesty 
wrapped in a more sort of accessible language. Right. Um, so, so that's how it started. And then when I did that, once I set that up, I was like, Ooh, you know what else I should set up? I ain't going to come in next Friday either. And I just knew to myself I wasn't because I noticed I was like, it's Juneteenth. Why the heck they got us coming in at all? And so I put on my calendar um, for that literally anyone who has access to my, my calendar at work could see that I blocked out the entire day in purple. And I said, Juneteenth. And I blocked it out as out of office. And I put, this should be a recognized holiday at my university. Juneteenth is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. I will be out of office. And um, I said, I will be out of office to commemorate it and have to use vacation time to do so. And I purposely put that because um, I didn't request vacation time yet at that point. I just knew I would have to. And, it, and it, I needed people to understand how, how odd that is. How can one <laughs> request vacation time? How is this also a, a vacation? You know, I don't get a vacation from being Black. Mm. So... For me, it was a way of just showcasing like, hey, this is what we have to do. And it literally makes zero sense. Um, But a little mantra that uh, a high school teacher of mine gave me a long time ago, I say all the time to myself is common sense ain't common. Hmm. So sometimes you have to help people recognize the common sense they need. And when I added that um, on my calendar, I said, well, you know what else I'm going to do? I am going to snap a picture of this and I am going to post it on my social media and I'm going to tag my university. So did that. (laughs) And it was crazy to see how many people were all, you know, like, what? Yeah, girl, that's cool. To both the email, which I also took a picture of, I think, and posted, and to and to this. And so then about, like, I don't know, a couple days before, yeah, literally, it was a couple days, it was Wednesday. Then Friday, we actually got Juneteenth off. Wednesday, we were notified that that Friday we were going to get Juneteenth off as a paid holiday. What is still needed is to know if that's actually going to continue, if that's actually going to be an annual holiday. Um, Because it will be very telling if it's not for all the institutions and all the places who decided to, you know, acknowledge it for the first time since 1865 Mm -hmm. um and yeah so so it's it's been an interesting sort of thing to watch happen I know for sure there are more people who probably advocated for this 
the holiday to be recognized in some way. I, but at the end of the day, it, it's like each individual person contributes to change. And I'm glad I was a component of that. Yeah, it seemed from a bystander's point of view, like it was a direct action from your calling it out, calling out this university that claims it's for social justice and moving forward and still airing on, still having all these issues, not examining itself. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it, it's a, there's a lot of, I think the hard part with organizations and institutions is that we label them as such, but what they really are, are a bunch of people who haven't yet done inner work with themselves. And that's actually what can lead to more, can lead to institutional change is the individual putting in the time, effort, and investment in understanding what they themselves bring or don't bring to the tables they have the privilege of being at. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, can we... Because it's that collective that, that makes moves, that makes change. Yeah. Uh, do you know what, I don't, I don't know if you would, uh, what percentage of staff at this institution are people of color or, and or black? I don't know that percentage. I only know that it's about 6% on the student side, but I don't know about like the faculty and staff side. Um, there's more than there used to be. We're probably at one of the high, the highest we've had in a while, but I don't know exact um, numbers. I do, I am curious though, just in general, when we think about like higher education, where, um, like how many majors at how many institutions have zero black faculty. Mm. And and then I'd love to like, it'd be really interesting to see a study done on like, but then how many people actually have like terminal degrees who are capable of teaching? Because there are so many fields and so many industries where there are so many thought leaders and people like, me, I mean, like, I didn't have examples of, of people like me in my university, in my major. So I had to go outside of my major to get those examples in the African-American studies department, because that's where you go when you want to learn about being Black. You don't go to any other mm -hmm. part of the, the campus. And so it, that's what, that's where the, like, decolonization has to happen is that it has to actually happen in all the other majors. It has to happen not by just hiring one black, black faculty member. Um, it has to happen because then they become tokenized um, and become the person that has to answer for everything. And so 
you need to make sure you have like things in place that actually hold your team accountable to cultural equity. And for me, that's something that I've been very intentional about in the work that I've done um, basically since being an undergrad. Mm -hmm. I keep forgetting my camera's turned off because I'm like shaking my head and smiling at you and I realize you can't see me. (laughs) Oh, love. (laughs) I know, I'm just looking at myself. Cool. (laughs) So we are in a Facebook group for this, for a specific department at this university and a student posed an interesting question and the department, the head of the department, who is a white man, gave a political answer that wasn't fully satisfying. And you jumped in and gave this really detailed, incredible response. And uh, yeah, let's just talk about that. Yeah. So, um, well, what's interesting about that, so so something I think is to give a little more context. I don't think I knew in the moment, but something I've just started to do because it's my own form of activism is calling out people on on sh- like sugarcoating the truth that they say they want to have but they're not actually speaking or walking, you know, like walk your talk. And so, so I find in these moments where, you know, we're seeing posts from different friends that say black lives matter, but there's no follow-up and there's nothing else beyond that because then they go back to whatever they want to post about um, or there's no resources they point anyone to things of that nature. When I, that's like the extreme But then the other side of the coin is when you have folks who do genuinely believe that they are pushing forward change, but they actually don't have the awareness of the fact that they're not. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in that particular instance, I, I read the question, a very thoughtful, astute question from a student about how the department was going to address Juneteenth, being that essentially they were also the only representatives of the university doing anything on that day. The entire university, everyone else, classes, everything was told shut down. Nope. Holiday, go honor and remember and, you know, respect and learn and research stuff about Juneteenth. Like that was the, the mandate essentially for, uh, for everyone. Um, and this was the one thing that was allowed to still happen on that day when, well, I don't know, it could have probably been pushed to another day, like the next day or the next day. Um, so being that they had this platform, huge platform being the one thing that was going to be accessible to the entire university community and, you know, 
affiliates of, of that community, literally anyone on the internet who wanted to tune in, to tune in to see a show that was going to be presented. And the show was by Shakespeare, which is, you know, great. But on Juneteenth in particular, that was kind of where where I think the student was getting at that, like, what are we doing to support or, um, you know, like detract from issues of like systemic racism at our university. And I was like, Ooh, that's what's up. She asked that. Okay. And so, so, um, the, so, you know, reading that reply, it was like a bunch of, for lack of a better phrase, like, lovely, well-meaning white words. (laughs) Um, But they just, they just read as, as that. They didn't read as an actual answer to how was this show going to address the actual um, relevance of the day that they got to perform the show on. and it basically boiled down to we have a couple sentences on our website. And I couldn't sit there after I'd just finished the whole day of work serving this institution. I said, okay, I could either close my computer right now, not say a word, and let let the people continue to live in their ignorance <laughs> and also see the missed opportunity that all the students who are in this this group and alumni, like they're going to see this as leadership and that's going to be their example of leadership. And they're going to like that because it sounds really nice. It sounds like smart and stuff. And they're going to like that because that's going to be an example of what a leader looks like. But for me, that example wasn't comprehensive enough and it wasn't um, as fleshed out as I thought it could be. So that's what launched me into a response back on top of the fact that I studied under this person as well when I was a student and I have a I have a huge amount of respect but as educators we should be continually educating ourselves so the fact that it was asked like hey and if you have suggestions on how we can do better in our department it was like yes that's nice. But if you really want to do that, you should do that thoughtfully, like create an actual survey, an anonymous feedback, like actually do things that, that warrant that in a, in a very intentional way. Um, and so since it wasn't done intentionally, I said, okay, well, I'll just do it. And I'll just throw out my suggestions all right here for the world to see. Um, and, and so that's what I did. I just, you know, had to call out the fact that there aren't any African-American faculty to even, you know, weigh in on the relevance of this particular subject, but also on the importance of why or why it shouldn't have probably been scheduled on that day in the first place. Um, Doesn't take having tons of Black people get killed for people to realize that there's a holiday that's been celebrated for (laughs) literally hundreds of years. Um, but that's what it takes. It takes that for people to actually observe something. And that, that therein is the issue. That's what makes it sad and, and uncomfortable in a way. But what I, ha- I tried to impart is that, 
yes, it's sad and it's uncomfortable that you're barely discovering and understanding the need to acknowledge this holiday now. But the point of the holiday is to celebrate freedom, is to celebrate the fact that Black Americans have the opportunity to, quote, be free. But the issue with that is that we still aren't. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, the reckoning that I think that they hadn't done yet, which is why there was a lack of respect for how to actually address a very thoughtful question. So I went in, I wrote five suggestions, which were really like recommendations. And um, and yeah, so, you know, I, I know that they were taken <laughs> like literally and figuratively taken um, my suggestions and, and I, you know, I was thanked and, and that was about it. When I publish this, um, can I use your full name or do you want just your first name or do you want like a pseudonym? Mm, I don't know. I think it's interesting to even unpack that. Let's unpack it. Because right now, a lot of Black people are are speaking out. Mm -hmm. And with speaking out comes like a fear of retaliation or like, oh my goodness, what if somebody, you know, doesn't like what I say or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, for me, a big part of what I actually am proud of is that I don't, I'm only stating things that I see, things that I create, things that that are based on my experience, um, not things that other people necessarily believe. I only am saying from what I see how I interact with the with the choices that are made around me or that affect me. So with that being said, I mean, anyone can Google my name and see where I work. Anyone can Google your name and see where you went to school. <laughs> so I really don't have any, any care about it. But I think when you name certain things, you give them power. And so me not naming in this instance is just a choice in terms of allowing people to view things from a bird's eye view rather than a laser focus, Mm -hmm. because maybe there are instances in their lives or in, in things they're struggling with in institutions they might be in that can help them see this is not just a this is not a singular issue right that makes sense so I I mean honestly you could put my whole name you could put my bio you could put it all there and then you know folks can connect the dots but I think the the point of me talking with you is talking about why this work is important wherever you show up in the world 
doesn't the, the institution does not define me. I give definition to the institutions I belong to. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I don't belong to them either. I gift them with my intelligence, my presence, my expertise. And right now, the institution I happen to be working for is benefiting off of that beyond what I was hired for. Definitely. So yeah, you could put, you could put my whole life. I don't care, okay. but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To answer your question, um. <laughs> yeah, we we ask uh, everybody I interview on the show that question, and a lot of people people will have different answers for different reasons. But but yeah, uh, thank you. I will get you some followers. <laughs> follow for follow. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> get, get my life. <laughs> Um, I wanted to transition to a moment where you personally educated me Mm -hmm. and um, this was back in, it must have been 2020, we started working together 2014 maybe, 2015. Yeah, yeah, like a little, little after you graduated, right? Right, yeah, right around there. Yeah, yeah. And we were working an event and I had seen the movie Dear White People for the first time. (laughs) And I had, you know, brought up this, I brought it up. um, I made a Facebook post and maybe you had liked it or something Mm -hmm. that I I knew, I don't know. However it came up, I brought it up and Mm -hmm. we started talking about it. And like in that moment, one of our coworkers like, came up to us and made a black joke at you mm. in the moment. And I think that was a like one of the first times that I, I'd, I'd say right around 2015, 16-ish is like when I started waking up. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a moment where it was like clearly right in front of me. And I, you know, I just was so, I didn't know what to do. And, do you remember what was said? Um, yeah, he said, I can't remember what, but the punchline was because you're black. And you said, oh, mm. you said, oh, okay. And he said, did you hear me? I said, because you're black. And you said, no, I heard you. <laughs> and uh, I, I, he was like, I don't even, I can't remember it was but um I started uh at that moment of time I will I'm the first to say I was very ignorant growing up and I was uh began talking to you about this story that I used to share um in in a way that white people like to share the I'm colorblind thing, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was shared with you that, which was, you know, sincere that, you know, my best friend growing up was black and I didn't know she was black until I was a little bit older. And I used to always tell that story, I guess in a way to make myself mm-hmm. feel good that I didn't see the difference. And 
you were the first person to Mm -hmm. ever really challenge me. And you said, well, you may not have known she was black, but she knew she was black. And you brought up, you know, I'm sure she was aware she was being treated differently than you. And she had probably picked up on all those smaller ways that you were privileged to not be aware of. And it was the first time like this narrative that I'm telling myself was like questioned in that way. And it just like blew everything open for me. It was really powerful moment for me. Mm, mm. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for saying that (laughs) five years ago. Yeah. I love that that stuck with you. I mean, I think it's interesting. Do do you know why I, I responded in the way I did to the joke? Tell me. Well, I, I asked you that because I want you to think about it in the moment of, okay, someone says that. And then the punchline is, and they say do you hear me or did you hear me or whatever it was mm-hmm. and then and my response is yes I did right what do you think was the reaction this person was looking for I think they were looking for laughter I think they were looking for like I don't, I don't really either a ha-ha or a, even a, you can't say that maybe from, I don't know. So when you think like deeper about it, those, those tiny moments, I believe are moments that are created by white people for approval. (sighs) times it's like they want to know like I can make that joke right right mm-hmm. like I can I like because we're cool because we're co-workers or colleagues or friends and if you give me the permission in this moment that that was funny I could do it again and I can use this as my pass into a community that isn't my community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the way, as you you walked me through that again, I remember the feeling and and the response that, like you said, I did it. I remember the feeling and the feeling was, if I dignify this with any sort of response, then it will give them permission to continue. Mm -hmm. Either, as a way that they now know triggers someone. And cause you know, comedy pushes people's buttons at the same time too. So mm-hmm. could have had that response. And then they would have been like, Ooh, I got under her skin. Ooh, I could use this in different ways to like, you know, get a reaction out of someone. And on the flip side, had I laughed, that would have just been, you know, supporting like this almost like defeatist agenda of myself, you know, so that they were putting out into the world. So 
my response of just of not laughing, of not even responding, of not even acknowledging that I heard it mm-hmm. <laughs> warranted someone to question themselves. And that's the goal. People have to start doing the work inside. People have to start questioning. And the fact that that led to, you know, us having a deeper conversation and you doing the beginning of that work of questioning, of reckoning, that is the goal. That's, that's kind of always, I think, the goal for me is to help people learn the questions they need to start asking themselves. And in that moment, I believe that person felt the need to ask me, did you hear me? And the acknowledgement of like, you know, yeah, or whatever, I heard you. There's like the rest of the sentence was, but obviously you see, I didn't laugh. So, you know, go figure out what that means on your own. Mm -hmm. I don't have time for that for you. I'm going to have a conversation with someone who's actually open to understanding more about me as a human, not a black person. I'm a human who is black, who has a multifaceted wealth of knowledge and experiences, but I'm not a punchline. I love you so much. You're so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sending hearts and love your way too. (laughs) Every time I have the privilege of speaking with you, I feel reinvigorated to do the work and just yeah that it's like possible and I don't know yeah I mean that's the thing if we stop having hope if we start naming things as impossible then what do they become yeah it's just that so I mean for me I try to stay sane by creating possibilities Mm-hmm. and then sharing those with people so they hopefully can do the same and then that creates a collective like, of all of us pushing towards something that's better and I just think it's awesome how I've personally seen you change so many different minds and mm-hmm that you've had an impact on this institution so much, I mean, in your career, but also just in this, in this short amount of time by being, by not backing down and by calling it for what it is, but just sugarcoating. And, you know, that got some tangible results. That was really exciting to see. Yeah. And I think like, What's interesting about, like, honestly, I don't, like, have you ever used that phrase? I'm curious. Have you ever, like, in your regular day-to-day life, like, have people around you used the phrase, like, like, sugarcoating? Yes. Yes? Yes. Okay. Have white people? Yeah. Okay. I'm just curious. Because, like, the way that, that, like, I've... I've used it, I've heard it. It's almost in like AAVE, like African American vernacular, where 
where it's like, you need to stop sugarcoating that because you, like if you if you put all of this sugar on top of something that is actually like salty or whatever and you need to taste it you need to you need to actually consume the real the real taste of something you can't cover it in in something that looks pretty on the outside but is actually probably rotting on the inside mm-hmm. um that to me is is actually weirdly laced in um white guilt like sugar coating is play is like playing too is feeding white guilt that's that's kind of what i believe is like when you package something up in a nice cute way um it, when you package something up in a nice cute way for someone who isn't ready to hear the truth that's sugarcoating and we are you know in this instance talking about educational institutions aren't these supposed to be the places where you can have raw important um, meaningful dialogue and you know that's what I that's what I have to tell myself so that I can keep showing up and pushing the envelope here and there when I can. Mm-hmm. Any last minute words of wisdom, challenges, etc. Yeah, I mean I I challenge you, I challenge you know, people that may have a similar background to yours to just have more conversations with each other. Mm-hmm. about what you're reckoning with mm-hmm. and then go create dialogue between yourselves around what that reckoning is teaching you about yourself and what plans you have to show up sort of better in the world because I think the biggest thing with what everyone's dealing with right now is that it feels kind of removed I mean to a certain extent it's like a lot of people can say I have a black friend and I know something crazy happened to them or they can or they can see something on the news and feel affected by it but it's not at home for them. Mm -hmm. And that is is like my wish. Like the way that it's at home for us is the way I want it to be at home for everyone. Like how do you talk about, you know, these issues in a way where you're understanding what your daily practice is to combat or respond to in moments where you see something that just feels a little off. That's all that it is. Like even in the moment when we were like, there were so many people Mm -hmm. on that platform that could have also responded to this person in a leadership position, but no one did. That post was up for hours that day. Mm -hmm. I saw it at the end of a work day, you know? And also that person does not run the department, but they they ran the show. 
in that instance, because later I was thanked by the person who who runs the department for helping them, basically. Mm -hmm. And in those moments where something feels off, that's when it would be great to not have to be the person that has to do the teaching. It'd be great to, to sort of amplify a dialogue that is already happening that might need a little, you know, might need a little help here and there, but it doesn't have to be a full on tax basically. And so that's what I'm interested in seeing. I'm interested in seeing like, you know, on, on people's Instagram when their friend is just posting about whatever that like be the, be the rabble rouser, be the trailblazer that like drops of comet bomb and is like, that's so nice. You just posted a picture of your latte, but what are you doing to help black lives lately? Mm-hmm. Like that's what like, I just want people to have, have acknowledgement of these things in daily instances in like moments when you, when, when it feels like the world is still spinning, but for many of us, it's still stopped. Yeah. Yeah. So what can other people do to stop blind folks world from just keeping, just continuing to spin? Mm -hmm. And when I say blind, I am speaking to ignorance not to the community because the community can see sometimes better than many of us who act, who quote have sight. Mm -hmm. The insight is what's missing from our society. And there's a lot of deep work that needs to be done. That deep work doesn't always have to come from, you know, the people that are quote doing the work in those moments when we're doing the work compensate us for the work because there are lots of black people who haven't gotten degrees in, you know, or, or haven't had studies or invested themselves in the study of equity, diversity, and inclusion. For me, that's something that I became committed to by the end of my undergraduate um, career. But, and I chose to, to see that through in the different institutions I worked for thereafter. I show up and look at things through an EDI lens and, and, and like accessibility lens. That's how I move through the world. Um, but there are black people who are just awesome black people who ain't, who ain't done that kind of like deep, deep work, um, Mm -hmm. and study of that, but they might be experts in something else that has literally nothing to do with the labor that comes from EDI work. So we have to be very careful in how that labor is distributed. There are many Black folks who had no desire to have this conversation with their white friends. There are many POC who have no desire to be the buffer for Black people between their white friends. Because yeah, they might know some stuff, but they're also emotionally exhausted too because they want to help potentially a community they feel a different sort of connection or kinship to. But that doesn't mean they want to talk about it all the time either. 
So the people who haven't been talking about it for every day of their lives or haven't had to walk in their skin knowing that the world sees them in a different way every single day of their lives and have had to have internal dialogues about that, those are the people who need to have the conversations every day. Those are the people who need to have the internal dialogues every day because we've already been doing this for generations. Mm -hmm. We have talks that prepare us for the world we have to go and walk into. Those talks are done by parents who had to walk in a world that was worse. And then those talks were done by parents who had to walk in a world that was even more worse. And so we're tired of talking. Either hire me because I chose to to do deeper work in this arena or have talks with your people because we've been having the talks with ours for generations. Oh, I'm so excited about you and about the world and we're going to we're going to just keep on going. Yeah. Yes. We're going to keep on keeping on. That's for sure. Ain't no choice but to do the work. Yeah. If you choose something else, then you're not really living. Mm-hmm. Or you're just being, uh, I don't ignorant is like d- deliberately. Mm-hmm. Yep. Making a choice to not, you know, help future generations live in a better world. So for me, I'm choosing to make a world that's better than the one that we had to live in. And that's what I think every generation tries to do. But how how much of a difference can we make? That's the question. Mm-hmm. And that comes with sustained commitment over time, not just when it's convenient, not just when it's popular, and not just when it happens to someone close to you. Thank you to the incredible, amazing, fantastic Alina Muslar for chatting with us today. Alina shared some great anti-racism resources with us, and we have that up on our show notes. So please take a look at that. I know I personally will. And feel free to email us at dirtygirlpodcasts at gmail.com, and we can do it together. Dirty Girl is produced by me, Heather Ann Gottlieb, along with Cameron Taggy, Tristan Bankston, and Alex Salem. We are distributed by the Hoo Ha Ha Podcast Network. Our logo was designed by Kevin Laughlin.